Welcome back to Foundational Thoughts, the podcast of the Missouri Baptist Foundation. My name is Neil, your host, and today we're wrapping up a four-part series on church capital stewardship campaigns. And we have been as our guest and our expert with us, John Hessel. John's been doing uh, church campaigns for 35 years, and you mentioned in the previous podcast, you've probably had a hand in how many, roughly, uh, campaigns? I've done over 250 campaigns. Over 250 campaigns, and you said something fascinating in the previous podcast that you've actually been invited back to the same church to do another campaign or to continue that campaign. That's correct. So you went in there and asked for money, and they asked you to come back again. That's pretty amazing. I figured you have some uh, being tarred and feathered stories along the way, and maybe you have, but we're not going to share those. But we are now going to talk about maybe the, the prickly subject of this. I mean, we've already been talking about money. But um, we've been talking about a capital campaign and how to do that, and it's really a three-month process once a church determines what they want to do and that they're all in it, and then it's three years in the culmination of the commitments that they have made for those Mm -hmm. finances to come back. So what does it cost a church to do a financial campaign? Well, there are three things that really are involved, and the first of those is prayer. And uh, uh, someone says, well, you know, what is the cost there? Um, a capital campaign is not a machine. So it doesn't work mechanically on its own. It works dynamically as God works through it. Mm. And that's where spiritual principles and biblical foundations are so important to the approach to a campaign. And as, as I shared in, I think, our first uh, podcast, uh, I come from the standpoint of ministry rather than from an aspect of business. And I feel that's a strength. Uh, in terms of working with a church in a capital campaign. The second cost is time. Uh, okay. and, and a capital campaign is, is an intensive process. It's a focused process. But uh, in most cases, a capital campaign is done by busy people who have never done it before. Mm. And so that's where my role comes in as a consultant to guide them, to help them understand what they're doing and to appreciate why they're doing it that way. Uh, and to find a way for them to do it as effectively and as efficiently as possible. And, and so we want the capital campaign to be a good experience for them. So mm. there is some work involved. And, okay. and occasionally I'll hear someone say, oh, no, we're going to do a capital campaign. <laughs> and, and I try to take the oh, no out of it. I really mm. do, because mm-hmm. I want it to be a, not only a time of blessing in the life of a church, but a time of joy as well. And the third thing is there is a financial cost. Okay. And, and again, and I'm sounding a little bit Trinitarian here, but there are three areas <laughs> where, where there's a financial cost. And one is as the church casts its vision, there is some expense for some printed materials okay. and some other things, means to communicate. Now, that's been made much more efficient by email and other venues sure. that we have today, uh, but you still need to do some hard copy stuff, and, and so there are some costs there. And it, it really depends greatly on how the church decides to do the campaign uh, and how much uh, equipment they have internally to, to produce those things as to whether they would have to go out and pay for uh, sure. commercial production. Right. The second thing is if a church wants to do a banquet as part of their campaign process, um, either at the end of the commitment, uh, excuse me, the communication phase, the second phase of the campaign, or as the final step in the commitment response at the very end of the campaign, we recommend if a church does a campaign and does a banquet, that the banquet not be uh, potluck, that it be catered. Right. So there would be a, an expense associated with that. But 
a number of churches that I work with don't do a banquet. Right. They want to avoid that expense, or they don't have facilities that would be adequate for it anyway. Mm-hmm. And in many cases, I'm helping them build a building that will make that possible <laughs> in the future. Uh, so anyway, and you've probably uh, seen that change over history as well, because I remember earlier that banquets were a big deal when it came to church gatherings. Uh, the church that I pastor, they kept doing this this uh, banquet that was a missions banquet. Mm-hmm. And I got there, I'm thinking, no, one's, no one likes banquets. Nobody comes to banquets anymore. Nobody, you don't have any banquet halls like you used to. And every year that banquet kept growing and growing financially, and people kept giving to that. So that is still an effective methodology in many places. Well, the principle still applies. If you feed them, they will come. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're trying to get folks together, to share a sense of, of your vision and your purpose. A banquet can be a unifying experience, and mm-hmm. so there is value to it. Mm-hmm. But again, I don't do a campaign with a church on the assumption you have to do it my way. Right. So as we plan a campaign and as we design it, one of the questions we deal with is, do you want to do a banquet? Do you want to bear that expense? Mm-hmm. Uh, in years past, uh, churches were even encouraged not only to do a banquet, but to go to some more expensive venue like right. a local hotel or a banquet center, uh, which could run twenty twenty five dollars a plate. Right. Uh, I really don't do that anymore. What I have discovered, and you made the mention a while ago, not everybody really turns on to a banquet anymore like they used to. Uh, but the key thing is, uh, at a time when you're asking folks to give sacrificially, you don't want to appear spendthrifty, and so you, you know you yeah. want to maintain the spirit of the campaign that we're being responsible and good stewards, not just in the motive for the campaign, but in the methodology oh, I, of the I, campaign. I know as of well. a church who spent a lot of money at a banquet for a campaign and the campaign went nowhere and a lot of the criticism was, well you spent all this money on this big fancy banquet. And yeah. I'm not saying that's the right solution to that, but a reasonable banquet. So you're saying that campaign's gonna cost us some prayer. Uh, which we could probably all use to give a little more prayer. It's going to cost us some time as we get to this. It's going to cost us some printing material, marketing material, communications material, maybe a banquet cost as a a part of that um, that's going to be related. What else is it going to cost us? The fee for the consultant. Okay, that's what we're getting to uh, today. So that's like $50,000. It's 50% of what it is. What does that cost? A couple of things here as, as we begin that conversation. And Obviously, I would love to do it for free. Sure. Uh, I, I love doing them. I, you know, after 35 years, my passion is as fresh as it was the year wow. I started. That's exciting. I just have seen God work through it in so many wonderful ways. But um, there, is, there is a compensation that's required. Sure. And there is a level of expertise that justifies Absolutely. that compensation. And so when I work with a church, I will quote a fee to them okay. that's based upon the size of the church, the amount of time that I will spend with them. Okay. And I always make the fee an all-inclusive figure. Okay. So I never charge them extra if I have to stay in a motel or for my okay. transportation or uh, other things. You know, I tell them, here's what it will cost, and that's the, that's the bottom line So figure. is that the price? Are you talking about the prices based on the size of the church or the size of the project? Do different people size spend Size of the it? church. Size of the church. Uh, I look at their budget okay. giving, and I try to charge a fee that, that is commensurate okay. with their ability to pay. One of the things that is an advantage that I have, since I'm local, rather than having to fly from Dallas or uh, Orlando right, or Atlanta, sure. uh, is I don't have a lot of overhead and I try to pass that savings on to a church. Typically, the fees that I charge mm-hmm. would be half or maybe even a third of what some of the commercial firms might charge. Wow. And the irony is, 
if you compare the level of service, mm-hmm. I'm there for everything the church does. Some of those folks will charge much higher fees, and they're there three, maybe four times in mm-hmm. the whole campaign. And so um, the, the key element there is that someone says, well, why should we pay someone to come in and ask our people to give? And as we had shared earlier, a consultant is not valuable because he knows tricks or gimmicks to use in a church. And frankly, if he did, you wouldn't want him anyway. Mm, he wouldn't. Um, the value of the consultant is he's focused on the purpose of the project. He, he trusts the process. And so he will keep you accountable to walking through the steps of the entire three-month campaign process to make sure you do what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, and, and the results uh, bear themselves out. Again, and I think I quoted this in our last podcast, uh, a consultant-led campaign will raise twice as much as a do-it-yourself campaign. So if a church says, well, we want to save the cost of a consultant, but they forfeit many times over that in the results of the campaign, they've been penny-wise and pound-foolish. You know, we, f- we find sometimes some of our clients who are trust service clients as of ours who end up having to pay taxes, and they're mad because they have to pay more taxes. Well, typically when you pay more taxes, it's because you've made more money. And so it's okay to pay more taxes if you've made more money. And that's kind of what you're saying here. You know, I think sometimes we're always looking for the cheapest bargain and what's the least expensive way we can do that. But we don't often look for our medical doctors that way or our brain surgeons. We're not really, we really want the guy who knows what he's doing. At least I want to, and I want to get the best that I can pay for instead of the least amount that I could pay for. And especially when we're talking about the things of the kingdom, because uh, sometimes I think we as, as um, Baptists in particular, which is what happens, we happen to be, but we don't ever, we want to, this is the Lord's stuff, and so we don't want anything looking nice, and we want it as cheaply as it can be. Um, and I think, I think David had a, a, a conviction over that, that David is sitting in this great this great palace, and the Lord has no place to worship. At least that kind of got him in trouble, too. I know mm-hmm. you don't know the story, but there's at least an idea there that it is okay to, uh, to pay for services and goods that are beneficial and actually are cheaper in the long run when you get the right person because a failed campaign can cause a lot of damage to a body as well, can't it? Right, not just financially. Spiritually in the life of the body, uh, it can adversely affect the future of the church. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to churches and uh, walk in their library and see sitting around on the floor architects' renderings of dreams that have died, mm. you know. And, and in most cases, I've never heard a pastor or a committee say, well, we didn't want to grow or we didn't want to do better. They mm. said we didn't have the money. And, and so uh, a capital campaign can be a bridge between the vision of what a church wants to be and the reality of what they become. And, and it can help provide the financial resources to make that possible. And see, that's what I love about what you've said. Of all the things that you've said over our time together has been the idea that a, a stewardship campaign, a capital stewardship campaign, is about helping a church accomplish what God has placed on their heart, but they don't think they can financially. And I'm sure you've looked at some churches and you go, no, you really can't probably do that kind of project. A church of 30 people probably can't do a $15 million building, and maybe they shouldn't be doing it. But we're able to do a whole lot more when we're together under the leadership of the Lord and being led well. So if a church is interested in knowing uh, who they should contact, obviously we want them to contact you for sure. I'd be very grateful. And we want to get your contact information here. 
But what if a person's listening to this and going, okay, well, he's in it for self-serving, which he's not, which you're not, John. You're helping us today. But what are some questions a church should be asking somebody as they interview a person about being their chair, their campaign uh, leader, their capital campaign? What would be some of the questions they'd want to ask to interview somebody? Well, the first thing you'd want to know about a consultant is do they have experience? Okay. And what is their their uh, uh, point of orientation? Okay. You know, are they approaching it as a business or are they approaching it as a ministry? Uh, another thing you'd want to know is how many campaigns are they involved with? Um, uh, for example, um, uh, when I was interviewing with a church and they'd interviewed a, pr- a professional consultant, uh, they found out that that consultant was involved in 18 different campaigns in 12 different states. Oh, my goodness. And, and so for him to do their campaign, um, you know, would be dividing his time. And if they reached out to him and needed help in a special way, they not only didn't know where he was, they didn't even know what state he was in. Mm. Uh, and, and in my case, uh, it's a much more limited, uh, I don't do as many campaigns now and right. I don't travel as far. Right. And so I'm able to focus uh, mm. with a church. Another question you'd want to ask a consultant is what methods do you use? Because for me to be value to a, valuable to a church, we talked in the in, in the earlier podcast about designing the campaign for the church. Mm-hmm. But there are some things that I bring to the table as a consultant that bring value to the process. Sure. Uh, okay, do the things that I'm bringing to the process do as well as what someone else would bring to the process? One of the things that I believe God has allowed me to be is a, an effective communicator and an effective trainer. And so those are important. If, if I came in as a consultant and the way I approach the campaign makes everybody mad, I'm not going to do a very good job. <laughs> and so those are things that a church needs okay. to look at. There needs to be a sense of a personal fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, this consultant relates to us. We are comfortable working with him. Mm-hmm. We can trust him. Right. And, and one of the things, for example, in my case, if I'm going to be working with a church, uh, let's say they contact me for a presentation, which is without charge, by the way. I would go and sit down with them, talk about a campaign before they would actually make the commitment to say, yes, we're going to use your service for our campaign, I would meet with that pastor and sometimes with the committee two or three times to give them an opportunity to get to know me, mm-hmm. the kind of person I am, the kind of priorities I have in my ministry, and whether or not I would be a good fit for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I have never been able to approach a church and say, I believe it is God's will for you to build, because I don't know that. Mm-hmm. But I have always been able to approach a church and say it is God's will for you to grow. And if building is a way you can grow, then you need to find a biblical way to provide the resources that that building will require. And, and so uh, in one of our previous podcasts, I made the comment that money can never be an end. It must always be seen as a means to an end. The reality is the building is also a means to an end. Uh, God never called a church into existence to build a building. You mentioned David dreaming of the temple. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we're not talking about gilded halls here. We're, <laughs> we're talking about practical facilities right. that are useful in the ministry of, of preaching and teaching the word and reaching people in the community. And, and so um, if, a, if a church sees the building as the end result, you know, what they're trying to achieve, they've missed the point. The building's a tool, just like the money. And the sharper the tool, the better the task. I mean, that's just true. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a, an axiom for almost any area. Sure. And, and so when a church uh, improves, expands, or replaces their facilities, uh, they are sharpening their tool so that they can 
do a better job of ministry. And that's always a worthwhile objective. Mm. Well, John, thank you so much for spending time with us to help us understand this, understand what it can do, what it can't do, what it's designed to do, what its purpose is. And so if there's somebody who's listening to the podcast says, you know what, I want to at least have a conversation with John to help us with our campaign. You're here in St. Louis, Missouri, kind of in the middle of our country. And so if a person was interested, uh, how do they get in touch with you? How do they reach you? There are two ways. Uh, one would be through my email, which is jlhessel at aol.com. Okay. Uh, and Hessel, my last name, H-E-S-S-E-L. Okay. The other way to reach me is by phone. My cell phone is 314-691-7222. And they're welcome to call me anytime. And I'm always willing to talk with someone if they have questions or would like some information. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can either talk with them over the phone or I can mail them some information uh, if they would like. And as I said earlier, if a church just wanted more information but wanted a face-to-face meeting, I'm always willing to do that. There's no charge, no obligation expected in that kind of an invitation. Well, I love what you're doing because you're a pastor, and that's what you do. That's who you are, and you don't necessarily need money to go and do these kinds of things, uh, but you're willing to use your expertise to help God's people accomplish their purposes, do that in a cost-effective means compared Mm -hmm. to a lot of other resources, and your willingness and generosity of spirit of helping us. And so thanks for taking the time with us on these podcasts. And again, if you have any interest in a church capital campaign, John's given you his contact information, and that was John L. Hessel at... Was uh, your email? No. No, no? J.L. Hessel. J.L. Hessel. Thank you for at, correcting me. At, at AOL.com. At AOL.com. Or he gave you your phone number. You can re- rewind this and play that back and forth if you want to get those numbers. But, John, we appreciate you. You can probably also probably Google you out there. We probably might be able to, to Google uh, John Hessel and Associates or something They, like they that. might find me might out there. Might find you out yeah. there someplace. I do have a website. Okay, you have uh, a website as Hess- well. HesselAssociates.com. Okay, HesselAssociates.com. You can find him there. So thanks, John, for giving us your time today. May the Lord bless you as you serve him. And thanks for listening to Foundational Thoughts, the podcast of the Missouri Baptist Foundation. Thank you.